Hi, this is Pastor Rick. Welcome to On Demand, one of my favorite places to be because you get the Word of God when you want to. And a whole lot of you, thousands of you do this all the time. So here's a word for you today. We're going to talk about unity, division, and some helpful ways to think. The main focus of the message will be about thinking. There are some things that you can learn, some ways you can embrace, some thought habits you can embrace that will make division less likely in your life. There are some thinking habits, some traps that people get into that cause them to loop in and out of division. This study will help you get there. Jesus warned us about it, and then he shows us a key answer. Paul gives us some profound advice that will help us not get trapped in this kind of thinking. So stay with me. It's going to be a fun teaching. If you like it, link it and send it to a friend. I'll be back to pray for you at the end. Enjoy the message. Well, this has been a fun series. I have enjoyed sharing it with you. I hope it's helped you. Our key verse that we've been studying is centered around the words of Jesus, where he said that division is something that hurts us. Unity is something that help us, helps us. I'm going to read it for you. It's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. I want you to listen carefully to what it says. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? The goal of the series has been very simple. I want to show you that some things work and some things don't work. Division never works. In a house, it doesn't work. In a city, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in a nation. It doesn't work anywhere. In a business, the surefire way to end everything is to be divided. Now, that means you have to look at yourself and be honest and say, okay, uh, I have an issue, but is this issue worth destroying everything? I have a conviction, but is this, is this conviction worth blowing up everything? For some people, it is. But here's what he says. You lose and we all lose. Not just you. We all lose because of that attitude. And, and, and my, goal, my goal in this series has been to help you see how toxic that is and how self-defeating that is. Now, we've all been in relationships. We've all had moments of disagreement. We've all wanted to argue our case. What this study would uh, help you see is the danger of thinking that winning at all costs is all that matters. And that's what can happen. You can think it's all about me getting my point across, winning the argument, uh, winning the day, and that somehow that's important. And I really believe that in church and in among not just church people, but just among people in general, that can become the goal. I, I want to invite you to consider a thought. And it's a pretty interesting thought. I, it's a book I was reading that really kind of helped shape this idea. And I think big thoughts are always helpful. In this book, there is a book called The Science of Fear, How the Culture of Fear Manipulates Your Brain by Daniel Gardner. The Science of Fear, How the Culture of Fear Manipulates Your Brain by, again, Daniel Gardner. I was, um, I was thinking about our series, and I was saying, what is it that generally causes people to be uh, divided? Normally, it's rooted in some kind of fear which made me look up Daniel Gardner's book. I'm afraid of something, and because I'm afraid of losing an argument, I'm afraid of something, I divide. I, I separate from others, and I take a firm position. 
Now, I do believe in taking firm positions. I do believe some things I should say no to. I should say no to certain things, divide from certain things. I get that. But, but I want you to understand, he said, ultimately, if division exists, we're in trouble. We just can't make it in a divided culture. And so if I felt that fear was at the root of a lot of it, I thought it'd be interesting to see how fear is used to manipulate us. And he does an interesting job of articulating how fear is combined in certain attitudes. And is it, these attitudes somehow become ways of thinking. So what I wanna do is talk about three thinking habits that can cause division and manipulate your, your, you into bad decisions. So I want you to hear it again. These are three thinking habits. This is, this is the way you, you tend to think. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This is your seven-day-a-week. That's how the days. I hope so. Yeah, that you, well, just to prove it, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. My pride says I got to make sure you know I know the days of the week. So, but in those seven days a week, you tend to think this way every day. These are thinking habits. And these thinking habits cause division. Because you continue, and you can tell that, if you keep having divisive experiences, every job, everywhere you work, everybody you date, you end up in the same place, it could be tied to habits. And then what you find is these habits, he says, can manipulate you. They're rooted in fears, fears, careful now, that manipulate your brain into bad decisions. You can go back in your life and you can say, you know, I, I, why did I get mad about that? Why was I so, so angry? Why, why did I lose that job? Well, and, and you look back and you, just, you were manipulated. But it's tied to a way of thinking. Now, if you catch this, you, you catch something that can save your life. Generally, in my life, I have noticed habits, ways of thought, and attitudes that trick me. For example, financial tricks. You get trapped in certain financial habits. And, the, and you're fearful that you won't be, quote, equal to somebody, or you won't keep up with, the, used to say, the Joneses. So you manipulate yourself into buying stuff you can't afford, driving stuff you can't afford, doing things because you're afraid you won't be up to the standards you need to be up to. In church, it's, it's this amazing amount of manipulation that happens with pastors. We live for buildings. We live for facilities. We, we will spend more than we should, on facilities and not even have a staff to help us. We don't have anybody to help us. We, we, we work alone because all of our money is invested in, in, in stuff we can barely afford to keep up. And, and the question is, how do we get manipulated into that? How, how does it that you, a person who is well-trained and educated, and most pastors are, how did you get manipulated? You were afraid that you weren't evangelizing the gospel, weren't sharing your faith. There were things that I did, things that I spent money on, invested in, that was solely rooted in fear that I was going too slow, that God would be unple- not be happy with me, so I got to speed up. And even the idea of resting, oh, I can't rest because God's going to be mad. I, I'm afraid God will be upset. So this whole idea of fear, is, 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 which leads to ways of thinking that end up manipulating me into a bad place. So let me give you the three. You ready? So we can get on here. Three thinking habits. Number one, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Let me put up a definition for this. I want you to remember this. This is simple. Uh, And this is from The Science of Fear, How the Culture of Fear Manipulates Your Brain by Daniel Gardner. Here's the definition. Once a belief is in place, we screen what we see and hear a biased way that ensures our beliefs are proven correct. 
So watch this now. Once our belief is in place, we screen what we see. So we want to make sure this is what I believe. So I screen what I see and I, and I make sure I hear in a biased way that ensures what I believe is proving correct. So my, my life goes when I'm bound by confirmation bias, I am always trying to confirm my biases. Now, I want to I say something that I think is interesting <laughs> that might make this theologically fun for you. A lot of guys don't believe in women having any public opportunity or equal opportunity in ministry, in life, in, in, in public life, in business. They are biased against women. They just are. There, there are whole denominations, in my opinion, I say this in love, that are biased against women, who are mainly supported by women, by the way. Over half of their economic support, over 60, 70% of the people that go to their churches are women, but they're biased against women. Women can't stand in the pulpit, women can't teach, women can't do all kinds of stuff. And then what they do is they look for any verse in the Bible or any illustration to, to conform or confirm the bias. So, they'll, they'll, and I'm not going to go through all the verses because what they, there's a, a way of pulling all of this to prove the point that we have about women. And they feel pretty good about it. They feel really good about it. And, and that's what confirmation bias is. You have to be very careful that you're not just trying to pull yourself to a position in your thinking that somehow justifies you. And here's what happens when you think that way. It's hard for people to unite with you because everything you talk about is to confirm your bias. And anybody that doesn't say anything what you want, you do like this, and you go, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. It's all because of confirmation bias. You're only interested in proving yourself right. Which leads me to the second thing which he talks about in the book, which I thought was fascinating. And, and I love this because, and I'll come back to this in a minute and show you how we use the Bible to confirm, confirm all this, to prove all this. The next one is called uh, group polarization. Now, here's what this means. Watch this definition. He says, when people who share beliefs get together in, a, in groups, like churches, right? They become more convinced that their beliefs are right and that they become more extreme in their views. Put confirmation bias, group polarization, and culture together, and we start to undertake why, understand rather why people can come to completely different views about which risks are frightening and which aren't worth a second thought. In other words, when you take confirmation bias, people who tend to confirm their biases, they use the Bible, they use verses to confirm their biases. And then they, they, you get with a group of people who think like you that pull you polarizations to pull you to one side, then you, you combine those two and create a culture on top of that. Now it's hard to change your mind. It's hard to change your mind. It's, it's, it's an incredibly dangerous thing for anybody to do. Now, we see this in our political environments these days. We see this in our church environments these days. We see it in a lot of places. We see it in, in racial divides. There's a polarization that can happen among black people. There's a polarization that can happen among white people, Asian people. 
you, and, you, and you get this, this confirmation. You're looking for this confirmation to say, ah, all black people, see there? All white people right there, boy, I'm telling you. Yeah, and you got all Hispanics. All, yeah, you got all these. And you start creating these biases and you become sit, sit, sat or fixated, say it that way, in a position that can't be reached. You've ever talked to people like this? No, no, what you say to them, they're, they're, they're looking for some verse in the Bible or something to confirm a bias. They're looking for some, way, some group to validate their point of view. And, and the bad part about this is it becomes extreme and culturally accepted. How do you think slavery existed in, quote, a Christian nation? Confirmation bias. Go back and read it. They were quoting the Bible. Slaves, obey your masters. Talked about that last week or a couple weeks ago. All that stuff was used to confirm a bias. It was an economic decision to have free staff. That's why they did it. And then group, the group polarized and accepted it, and the church supported it. And it became culture in this country for a long time. Think about it. That's the only way it could happen. How is it that I, Ricky Temple, right, okay, I got great health care. I mean, like, super great health care. Like, amazing, right? So I can say, well, if I get great health care, everybody can get great health care. And I can get biased against people that don't have it. And then I look for other people. He got health care. Look at him. Well, he died. You're the only one that got some. So now I'm around people and I'm in a group of all healthcare people and I'm only thinking about us. I'm polarized against the people that don't have it and say, you want something free? See, if you're not careful, what happens is you polarize, pull over into your group and you divide. But Jesus still said it, the house divided against itself, can't stand. Now, here's the third thing, the way of thinking. Remember, we're talking about ways of thinking, right? Confirmation bias, that's one way of thinking, right? Group polarization, that's another way of thinking. Here's the third way, anchoring. That's what I just call it, anchoring. You know what anchoring is? Anchoring is real simple. I love, I love it, so I'm going to read it. The anchoring rule, he says, can also be used to, to skew public opinion surveys to suit one's purposes. Say you, you're the head of an environmental group and you want to show that the public supports spending a considerable amount of money cleaning up lakes. You do this by conducting a survey, he says, that begins with a question about whether the respondents would be willing to contribute some money, say $200, to clean up the lake. So here's how you get the people to consider environmental attitudes. Here's how you get people to support cleaning up the lake. You want to make them environmentalists you get them to contribute to the lake cleanup. You anchor that in their minds by dropping the thought at the end of the question. Pastors do it all the time. If you want to raise money, here's how you do it. You ready? Here's how you anchor. Guys, I need you to help me today. We're going to try to do something amazing here. We're going to make a real difference in the community. I need as many of you who can give $50 to really think about doing that, and maybe even as much as $500 uh, in a year. Over 10 months, I want you to think about that. And just now, now what I've just done is anchored that in your mind. You now will think about that. Salespeople do it all the time. Um, we have a sale today, 
And let me tell you, this is normally a dress that costs $300, but it's on sale for $199. Now, what I've done is anchored two things in your mind. The say is normally $500, but today uh, is $199 or whatever it is. It's going to be, it's normally this much. Let's make it $500. The dress is $500, but today it's $199. So I've anchored $500 in your mind, and I've anchored $199 in your mind. I've convinced you this is a deal. That's the anchor. I'm trying to anchor this in your mind. That's how I get you to do stuff. Now, I'm just saying, now, I think if you're going to anchor, be honest. If I'm going to ask our church for money, I'm honest. Hey, I'm trying to get you guys to give. Here's why we're giving. Yes, I am anchoring a dollar amount. I want you to think about because I'm trying to get to a certain dollar goal. I'm not against it. I just understand how it works. But understand, you can anchor negative things in your mind, anchor negative attitudes in your children, anchor negative attitudes in the community. That's what's happened with our vaccines. Just thought I'd drop that. Let me anchor that in your mind. There you go. There's an anchor. You just say something negative first, scare up people. They've taken a bunch of vaccines up to now, by the way, just for the record. I think I have 13. I mean, I've traveled around the world. I, I, my kids went to school. All of them got vaccinated. All of your children who went to school got vaccinated too. And you, if you're in the military, all of you were vaccinated. Everybody, everybody could go to Afghanistan. You've been, you've been to Iraq. You, all of you, everybody. But what happened was, what happened was, an anchor was dropped in our mind. Oh, this may be dangerous. And so now all of a sudden you're afraid because it was done fast. Oh, boy. Can I just take a sidestep to that? Let me jump off topic for just a minute. We pray for technology to make things fast. There was a time when I used to preach with notes, paper notes, right? I don't have, I have, I have an iPad, okay? And I used to, I have to write everything out, everything out, and they used to have to print it out. And then I used to have 20 books in front of me to find out things. If I wanted to look up a Greek word, I had to go get me a, a Greek dictionary, a Greek thesaurus. I had to look up the Greek and I had to look it up in Greek. I, it was amazing. I had to go through a long process. And then I had to connect. But now I can push a button. It's faster because of technology. The same thing is happening with a lot of things. We should expect that our technology is going to make us faster, not slower. Dear God, help us. Help us get faster and more precise. They're making cars with computers. They're doing everything. Everything is getting faster. That's a gift from God. We needed a fast miracle because we were in trouble. Wow. You know how many millions of people have died? I mean, we, we should be believing for God. And if you're watching this after the pandemic season, God bless you, you made it through it. But let me just say to you, those of you that are in this season, walking through it with me, let me say, we should be praying, God, don't let us wait five years to get an answer to this before there's a vaccine. Jesus, help us. We should be praying as fast because your mother, your aunt, your nephew, your friend, you, are at risk? How many preachers have died? How many churches have lost members? I mean, dear God, do we care? Oh, it's amazing. Here's the point I'm making. What gets anchored in our mind stops us from even celebrating a good thing. Somebody anchors fear in you. People have anchored in you this idea that you're not beautiful. Who told you that? Somebody anchored that thought in your mind. Who told you she, she's so pretty, she got a right to care, call you ugly? Who is she? She anchored that in your brain. Who is it? I don't care if it's your parents. You're never going to be nothing. Who are you to anchor that in my mind? 
Tell me what I can't be. Tell me how fast I can't go. Anchoring is a trap that divides us and causes all kinds of assumptions to live in our minds that are not sound. Man, I got to end this. I got to get out of this. Let me tell you something. You need to make sure you're not following confirmation bias. Just looking to confirm your own view. You now become a doctor all of a sudden, looking up everything. You know everything. Okay. And now you got a group going along with you. All you got to do is have a group that believes when you polarize with them. And then you, if you're not careful, things get anchored in your mind. And you get stubborn and you can't hear. I've been there in some ways. I can see this in my life. Oh, man, I can see it. I was so anchored in giving. I wasn't anchored in saving. Giving away everything. So anchored in caring for people, I didn't care for me. So anchored in preaching and being busy as a preacher that I'm so busy, I'm not resting enough for me. I didn't even know how tired I was. So anchored in being a mama. So anchored in being a daddy and providing. You're not thinking beyond the day. A house divided, a city divided, cannot stand. Jesus says, so I'll go and fall apart. I close with Paul's words to us. Here's what Paul said. <laughs> he said this, he said, you know, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There would be no more children, no more infants tossed back and forth. Ephesians 4, 14. That's what he says. The latter part of it says that we may all grow up and become what we're supposed to be. We can't keep being divided. It doesn't work. It will never work. I do funerals all the time. And I see families that are divided. They're divided over the death, divided over what's left by the person who died. They fight over chairs and, and couches and how any money left for me? Did you put any money in? Just a thought. All you got to do to clear the room is ask them to help pay for the funeral. They clear the room. <laughs> it's tragic to watch a family fall apart at the funeral. And what they used to be is left in the casket with the person who died. Is that going to be your story? A house divided. You sisters who won't talk to each other. You cousins that won't talk to each other. Do you know what's going to happen to you? Let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Jesus said it. You can't stand. It's all going to fall apart. You may be right. They may not have shown you the greatest respect, but you're going to lose together because you're divided. What do you want me to do, Pastor Rick? Put some new anchors down. How about I love you? How about not being biased and being open to new thoughts? 
How about not following a divisive group, but joining together and loving everybody together? Maybe it's time for you to think about it. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that we, we're no longer children tossed to and fro. Our hearts and our minds are open for you to help us see beyond how we feel. I, help, I pray, God, that your spirit would unite us, inspire us to band together and fight together. And Lord, I give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for letting me pray with you. Thank you for letting me talk to you. I appreciate you putting up with me today. I want to share a little bit to give you something to think about. I hope it helped you. And I want to tell you something. You might disagree with something I said, but I love you. And I'm praying for you. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, my prayer for you is this, that you would find key, a, 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 a moment today to say, God, I got most of what he said. And I heard the important part for me. And I, I ask you to help me to start a walk with you so that I can be free. So, Lord, let that be the prayer that they would say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life from this day forward. Help me grow in my walk with you. Well, I hope you heard that warning that Paul gave us being tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, what people think and then put upon you. And then you end up living in that in that life or a thought process and it works against your happiness in your life causes division and strife we have to be careful as christians that we're not carried about by every wind of doctrine carried about by every news report carried about it's a great time for us to rethink how we allow people to influence us and allow us to divide learning to not allow things to anchor in your mind letting people anchor attitudes positions and it manipulates you into places that aren't healthy. In our life, we decide what we want. And it's all about what Jesus said, remember? According to your faith, so be it unto you. Decide that you don't wanna let that stuff anchor in your mind. Decide that you don't wanna be the kind of person that allows yourself to be carried about by group polarization, where the whole group, wherever the group goes, you go. You don't even think anymore. Be careful that you're not looking for people to confirm your biases and that somehow your biases are somehow the, 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 the real focus of your life. You want to prove what you believe rather than learn what to believe. I'll say that again. You don't want to just prove what you believe. You want to learn, allow the Holy Spirit to help you grow and learn. And sometimes that's not in your religious environment. Sometimes that's not with your, in your family. Sometimes God wants to show you something that nobody around you sees. And, and I say that in, in, this, in this way. It's really helpful in this cultural environment that we're in to see that a lot of us are being carried about in ways that aren't healthy. Can I pray for you? Father, I pray that what we've talked about today will bring life and health to those who've heard it. May we all confront the fact that we've allowed some, some biases to develop. And we're just trying to confirm our own opinion, our own political opinion. We're not open and our heart's not open to anything else. Help us to look at the groups that we're in and see if they polarized us and pulled us away from balance and good thinking. They've isolated us in a place that we're, where now we are somehow God's voice to the world and we're not listening to anybody else. Help us, Lord God, to not be the kind of people who are tossed to and fro, anchoring our attitudes in places that are unsafe. I thank you for the courage to pull up the anchor and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us to a place of balance. I praise you and thank you. Help us to find peace and unity. Jesus said it best, a house divided against itself cannot stand. My name is Pastor Ricky Temple. Thank you for praying with me today. I'll see you next time. If this series blessed you, you can go back and listen to all four of the sermons.
You can allow it to soak into your mind. It talks about all the things that I think are important, how we get along, how we relate to government, how we relate to each other, the importance of unity in our community. Go back and listen to the series and share it and link it with a friend. I'll see you next time right here as we continue. More things down the road. We've got more to talk about. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.